talking about precipitation I'm talking Father God, He gave Jesus the nations And He's ruling now, even over pagans One day He's coming back, you just gotta have patience All hell. King Jesus Live from Minnesota, it's Dat Postman. Live from Minnesota. What? Live from Minnesota, it's Dat Postman. Eh? <laughs> yeah, eh? Hey guys, welcome to Dat Postman Podcast, where even though I get a cold right before we record, we still don't think Satan is ruling and reigning supreme, trying to interfere to keep us from <laughs> proclaiming Christ's victory. <laughs> Remember Bobby's World? Remember that show? Yes. Oh, that was the best, yeah. yeah that's because you speak her, the mom's language. <laughs> oh, for the love of cornflakes and bananas. There was nothing weird about her accent. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what you're talking about? A boot. A boot. So is it that post mill if uh, a heretic has stuff good happen to them, like Creflo Dollar might get a brand new plane? Like, is that... That's that post mill or is that disbelief that post mill or how Having does that work? Having a brand new plane is not a blessing. It is a responsibility and there's nothing fun about having a private jet to use to go around to preach to people to give you money. I, I think it sounds like it's pretty fun. That, sound, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Driving, riding around on a private jet. Did you see the pictures of the inside of that plane? Oh yeah, it was it's pretty like sweet. like all gold mm-hmm. trimmed. It looked nicer than President Underwood's Air Force One on uh, House, <laughs> House of, of cards. cards, bro. I just finished it. Now, if he wasn't preaching the gospel, I would say that was definitely that post mill. Well, it depends what if he's he wasn't doing. supposed to be. Well, if he wasn't supposedly doing it for the ministry, then I would say, yeah, man, he's killing it. Mm-hmm. He's crushing it. I don't have any problem with with private jets. As a matter of fact, I want to see more people with private jets. Why not? But but I don't want to see people giving a guy three hundred dollars a pop. To preach a false gospel. Yep. Sorry, I had t- I brought it down. Why are you so judgmental, Adam? I'm cranky right now because I ha- I had a beard accident. What did you do? What? Uh oh, you didn't trim, did you? I I well, I was I was uh, disfiguring the edges of my beard, you know, against Levitical law. Picks up a stone yeah. to stone him. What? Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a slippery slope that that uh, that trimming. Don't start. It's like when you're cutting your nails, you know, you got to trim a little bit more to make it even. And then all of a sudden, like you've, you've just, you're bleeding, you're bleeding. You've done <laughs> the whole you're thing. You're in the ER. So yeah. So now I'm, I'm down to what I call super stubble. No, <laughs> no, you didn't. Man. I call it sinful face. Yeah. I'm probably like at like three <laughs> millimeters or something like that. But, but by the grace of God, it will grow back. I will rebuild. That post Amos, Amos chapter nine. Is that what that is? <laughs> Nehemiah. I will rebuild the, Nehemiah I will rebuild the tents of David. <laughs> the walls that are t- torn down. But like, like they did in the Old Testament. You know, I have to go. I have to go to a to a city of refuge to hide my shame until the beard grows back, and I can come back. I was gonna say if you if you came to my church, bro, you would uh, you would definitely be under discipline. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love your church. I'm going. But you know, I, it was a it was a bittersweet thing because even though I was sad, my my wife said she likes the beard better. So I was thinking that all this time I was it was displeasing to her. But if it turns out she likes it better, that post so I'm happy now. Yeah, all right. I got a post so, wife. That post going that long displeasing your wife didn't didn't bother you. Well, it was kind of like one of those things where she says, you know, it's okay, it's okay. I know you like it, so if you like it, then I like it. Ah, uh, so it was basically like 
Um, I'm saying that I like it because I love you, but I'm not really sure if I actually do like it. And now she's finally decided that she likes it. I know. You don't know what you have until it's gone. Uh, I see how it is. Yeah, I have like at least at least probably half of the kids that I teach music to daily tell me that my beard is scary and I should cut it off. But I just I can't do it. Can't listen to the pagans. How many inches are you at now, Colin? I think it depends on the spot on my face, but uh, two, two or three, something like that. I was I was I was a little bit over an inch, probably. Oh, wow. Now I'm now I'm, I'm measuring in microns. Oh, it's so sad. I'm about two inches, and I shaved in January. Just just want to say that post-mill. So dead, Amel. You and your short beard. Dustin, how's your beard? Still pretty good. It's uh, it's a little sloppy. My wife keeps wanting me to trim it. I gotta just uh, I gotta do it just to clean up a little bit. But I'm I definitely getting the the beard comb over where it's all kind of <laughs> under underneath the neck beard's kind of folding over to one side. So when you look in the mirror, it's, it's nice and bulky on the on one side and slim on the other. So it looks a little weird. You know how the hipsters now are doing it, like with the like the shaved head on the side and then like the like the the regular kind of old fashioned hairstyle on the top. That's yep. what you got going on, but like underneath. That's right. <laughs> hey, what's that? There's got to be a name for that when you do it with your beard. It's called a beard part. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about, though. Yeah, it's like, like you, you got shave a shaved part head. of the head, except for not the top part. And it looks like you have Don Draper haircut on the on the top. It's a faded comb over. No, not fade. Like, you shave all of your head except for the top part. Like, it's skin. Okay, just imagine Don Draper's hair. Are you talking about a mohawk? But then, like... Yes, imagine imagine a mohawk except for the hair on the top is all of the top of your head instead of just a slim part in the middle. And then that it's, like, hideous. combed to the side or... Yeah, well, eh, some people can pull it off, I guess. It's just not Look for me. Look at any band. Yeah. Look at any modern band. Yeah. And that's what you have. Or Miley Cyrus. Guys, I'm on Google right now looking at this, and I don't like what I see. Just like, no. <laughs> if you have like only half of a beard like you only sh- you like you shave half of your face and leave the other half of your face completely there is that like a beard mullet where it's like you know business on one side party on the other side <laughs> that's a bullet two face i believe <laughs> that's called an abomination of desolation (laughs) (laughs) so then if we do the same thing that people are doing with their hair where they're like shaving the sides is that like when you shave off your chops but leave the rest of your beard like what is that what we're looking at or or is it more like a goatee but it's gotta be combed over but it has to be combed over (laughs) if it's combed over then it's hipster yeah it's hipster i don't know if i could comb over my beard i don't think it would obey my beard is a bit rebellious. I'm a reverse hipster. Reverse hipster? What about those people who were hipster before it was cool? I'm a hipster hipster. If you have a rebellious beard, that means you need to stone it, and you can put those beard baubles in it. <laughs> I think I'm just going to stick with beard balm. Shout out to valleyvintageshop.com. They have the best beard balm ever, seriously. Oh, yeah. I got orange pine scotch, baby. Orange pine scotch. Uh, mine, The one that I have right now is uh, orange clove. What? What is a beard balm? Beard balm is like a dry conditioner for your face. I don't even know about that. It's basically like chapstick for your, but it's like you, you kind of like roll it up in your hand and you kind of like spread it through your fingers and then you, you work it in. And I bought a beard comb that I can carry around with me that folds up so it won't get like all the beard balm all over my pocket. Wow. And it works really great. That's commitment, bro. But now that you have three millimeters, you don't even need it. I don't. I don't need it right now. <laughs> you should still you should still bust it out like in public. Just to, just start combing your stubble. <laughs> combing your stubble? Please do that and take a picture. 
We should uh, we'll have to get get a discount set up for our listeners, but I think doesn't perform and reloaded. It's got some oh, yeah, percentage man. off. It's like five percent if you put in reloaded at checkout, all caps. But they they actually they're really cool people too. They uh they'll they'll be willing to talk to you too if you want some advice. But then I said, but right now I'm actually considering purchasing additional beard balm because I'm going to need it because now that my stubble is growing out, it's going to fro up, you know, so it's going to. Uh, it's gonna frizz out before it actually lays down and does what I want it to. I, I was it was getting really good with the training, but now it's it's just it's all messed up. You've thrown it all apostasy, away. Apostasy, bro. Apostasy. Beard apostasy. How dare you? <laughs> Depart from me. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, John, you want to kind of tell people what uh, so, what we got going on this week? Sure, man. I'm excited about this week. We before we even. Uh, did the podcast? I mean, this was done for the podcast, but we were privileged to uh, to have Bo- Mr. Bojadar Marinoff uh, link up with us and allow us to interview him. And uh, what took place was really uh, a really encouraging thing. Uh, a great intro to post millennial eschatology, which is something that we uh, really would like our listeners to to become more familiar with. You know, be a Berean, make your make your decision. But um, it's something that you know, uh, it's a great opportunity to learn more about that. But also just the ramifications and the practical. What does what does a post mill eschatology look like, particularly in missions? Is where he went. And Bojidar Marinov himself is is a missionary. He uh, is the founder and head of uh, Bulgarian Reformation, and you can find him at BulgarianReformation.com. And he's in a, a lot of different ministries have had him uh, write for them and do different things. But he's very politically active, and he just recently had a debate with an atheist professor. We'll put that on the site for our listeners. But so yeah, he's a, he's a reconstructionist to the core, man. Probably if I could think of like a, a soldier for, for the reconstructionist, Christian reconstructionist movement, I would think of our Mr. Bojadar Marinov. It was very gracious of him to, to join us. You know, we, we didn't even really have any podcasts out yet. And he, he agreed to link up with us and let us interview him. He does say a lot about the future generation. I know that he has a lot of hope in the future generation with, with, with a lot of young men and women who are just sick of what's been happening in the past few generations in terms of the church culture in America and men like Bojan Marinov. But we also have, you know, Jeff Durbin. We have American Vision. We also have James White and even, you know, even Dr. Dr. MacArthur was with, with a lot of things. And of course, we'll be talking about more about these, these things uh, in the future. We don't agree with everything these men say, but there's, there's definitely something going on with the younger generation right now that's uh, really seeking to see a gospel movement in America. And Bo really believes in that. So I think that has to do with the fact that with the reasoning why he would be like, hey, yeah, you guys who don't have a podcast but really want to one day, I'll, I'll call in and, and let you interview me. So. We appreciate it, bro. Thank you. Since he did the tone, don't you see that Jesus purchased me? See the blood on that mercy seat? As a man, he was born in Bethlehem, but he's from eternity. Now that's Bible. Micah 5 2. You believe he's God? Yes, I do. The only hero to die for the villains that's poetic, like Haku. I was pathetic. Mr. Marinoff, we want to welcome you as our first guest on the That Post Mill podcast. Uh, you really do honor us, sir, by being here. We, we, we thank you very much for, for joining us. You're paying me more homage than, than I deserve, but uh, but thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, sir. Now we want to um, begin. First of all, we want to let everyone know how they can contact you. Um, you've done various work with American Vision over the years, which is actually how I first came into contact with you. But but even more so than that, you are uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the founder and the head of 
the uh, Bulgarian Reformation Ministries. Is, is that correct? That, that's correct. It's, uh, my, my main focus is on missions and uh, specifically missions to Eastern Europe. Uh, and um, what I uh, what I believe is that Eastern Europe is has been, uh, and, and European culture in general has been misunderstood by American missionaries to a great extent. They go there and they bring a um, very um, uh, what's uh, what's it called a, a very limited, very truncated gospel to Europe. Uh, a gospel that basically only touches the periphery of the culture <clears throat> and uh, eventually they get relegated to the periphery of the culture uh, and nobody really pays attention to American missionaries and, I, uh, and I've watched this for many years how American missionaries basically marginalize themselves by preaching this truncated gospel while Europe is, is indeed longing for a comprehensive gospel, a gospel that will touch the whole culture. Uh, people are asking questions, but American missionaries are not giving the answers. And honestly, nobody's giving the answers these days, uh, which we should expect of everybody else. But why should we expect them, that those that are supposedly bringing the gospel? not giving answers. So part of my job is really to to develop that mission in Bulgaria. I believe Bulgaria can become a really good showcase for uh, a, a Christian reconstruction and how Christian reconstruction can work on the mission field, but also try to um, educate American uh, Christians uh, that missions, the way we have been doing them in the last one century, uh, are, were, were not done the right way. And, and it's not because the missionaries were bad people or, or not holy enough in their personal in, uh, personal uh, walk with God. It's not because they haven't done, they haven't really put a lot of effort into it, but because the message has been truncated. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and you need to change the whole culture. I mean, when you're addressing a culture, you cannot just address the heart of a person. you got to address everything, the heart of a culture. And my article on Missionaries with the Axe is, shows that in history, basically, that's the way successful missionaries worked. They would go to a culture and, and really lay the axe at, at the very root of, of the culture's idols rather than just try to snatch a few souls out of that culture. So this is, this is part of my job, try to, you know, uh, make American Christians understand that and, 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 and hopefully even redirect uh, a lot of their giving for missions because right now at this point the American church is spending um, 2.5 billion dollars a year on missions. <clears throat> now in order to, to, to put this in perspective, keep in mind that probably if you convert it in gold, this is as much as the whole church spent between AD 30 and AD 1900 on missions. And we're spending it every year, only the American church. And what can we, what can we show for for the buck? What bank can we show for the buck <laughs> around the world? We've actually officially, if you go to the mission, to, to some of the mission websites, I mean, some areas have been officially designated as is a graveyard for missionaries. And and guess guess which the biggest graveyard for missionaries is, Europe. Yeah, I've heard that as well. What and. What do you think, Bojadar, is the is the biggest problem with um, 
missionaries in their eschatological perspective? What do you think? How, how do you think postmillennialism plays into how we view missions? Um, now let me uh, let me return you back in history to when uh, when the first missionaries. Um, left the borders of the Roman Empire to evangelize the barbarian Teutonic tribes to the, to the north of the empire and the Celtic tribes to the north of the empire. And um, remember, it, uh, we're talking about people like St. Patrick, St. Columba, um, Boniface, um, and, and even the Arian Ulfila, uh, you know, who went to evangelize the gods, even though I, I disagree, you know, with his with his view of God and, and, and the Trinity, uh, he was still a pretty good missionary and he went out there. One thing that they brought brought with them uh, that was completely different from everything that the pagan religions could offer was, was hope for the future. Now you look at the Celtic religions and they have no hope for the future. I mean, Celtic religions are entirely escapist. Uh, they're trying to escape this world. Uh, the German religions are entirely... Uh, uh, power uh, uh, power focused it is everything is about uh, you know who's got who's got <clears throat> greater power than, than everybody else to control everybody else but in the end b neither of them offers any any hope in all pagan religions the golden age is somewhere back in history you know and and then Christianity in those early ages came and, and it brought hope for both history and eternity and, uh, and and I believe this is what is the, the unique proposal of Christianity is that we, we can have hope both in history and in eternity, which no other religion can have. Now, uh, this is this is today. This is known, and you might hear amillennialists and premillennialists say that. But when you look at their understanding of history, they basically don't have it. They basically rejected. It's only post-millennialism that can go out there and say, you know what, there's actually hope for history. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is working in history and because Christ's ministry was in history and his redemption doesn't only uh, cover what happens beyond history, it covers history as well. So in history, through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the work of his church, we can uh, we can see the increase of God's kingdom, and by the way, it's promised in the Bible as well. You know, Isaiah chapter nine, verse seven, and, and then uh, you have a lot of verses in the New Testament. You see this gradual growth of the kingdom of God that will eventually conquer uh, all all the kingdoms of man, and and this is this is the hope in history. And I think this hope, if it is not at the foundation of your of your mission, of your preaching, of your evangelism. Um, you, you're basically you're basically doing nothing. You're not offering anything of value to these people. But before we get more kind of into the idea of of how this affects missions, maybe you could um, kind of do our listeners a favor and kind of explain for for somebody who might not know what postmillennialism actually is or actually teaches. Kind of like in a very sh I know there's a lot to it, but in a kind of s short summation of of what you see it as being it's i wish there was a short explanation a short description of it but um but, but let me put it this way uh when you uh, post-millennialism actually is is the the eschatology first of all it post-millennialism comes from 
the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ is coming after the millennial kingdom. We believe that the millennial kingdom is the the the, the one thousand years are not literal; they're um, they're symbolic of, of a long time. But it was established the kingdom, and it's one kingdom: the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, <clears throat> the one thousand years kingdom, the millennial kingdom was established at the, at the ministry of Christ at, at his first coming with that ministry and basically we're now living in that age when the gospel can go out and conquer the nations and Satan is bound anywhere where the gospel when the nations converted in history we don't see Satan being able to oppose the gospel and if sometimes we see something that resembles a successful opposition to the gospel it's only because the missionaries have none uh, have none their job well or, or, or the evangelists now Post-millennialism, I would say, this, this is the technical explanation, you know, we believe that we'll live in, a, in, in the gospel now, but this, this really doesn't do justice to post-millennialism, post because post-millennialism is a whole system, and it starts with the original covenant of creation that God made with man, and with what uh, God created man to do, and, and that original covenant was that man is created to be God's vicegerent, over the planet. Uh, that means he, he was supposed to take dominion over the planet, not dominion over other men, but dominion over uh, the creation uh, uh, under God, as, as, as God's agent, as God's representative to, to creation. Now, when, when man was created at the beginning with, uh, with this uh, uh, with this task in his spiritual DNA, uh, that task was not taken away from man at, at, in the fall. It was made more difficult for man to to, to do it, and it and man basically became uh, also representative of Satan. But the task remained. The fact that the fact that man crippled himself morally doesn't mean that that task was taken away from him. So God to God God uh, said that he what he was going to do is he was going to say, send the redeemer so that man is restored into what into the original task. That he's he's been given, and that is conquer the planet for Christ. Means bring that order of the garden to everything. So postmillennialists go all the way back to Genesis and and take this continuity, and we don't think that God suddenly changed His mind with with the fall. That the fall somehow surprised God, and God said, "Okay, uh, okay, uh, just discard that original covenant. Uh, the only thing I'm concerned about is saving man's soul." And in taking him to him, we don't worry about the, the creation anymore. No, the New Testament shows that the same task remains. And in fact, because we're talking about the gospel, a lot of people will say, oh, we're just preaching the gospel and we don't want to uh, conquer culture. I always point him to 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul starts uh, in verse 1. He says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. And then he continues, and a lot of people stop at some point and say, well, this is the gospel, a few propositions about my salvation. But really, the discussion continues all the way to verse 28. You know, he, he speaks about the order of resurrection, and at the end he says, for, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Before that, he says, then come the end, comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. So, so, so we see in history, and then in verse 27 he says, it is evident uh, 
that he is accepted, he is accepted, who put all things in subjection to him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subject all things to him. And this is this is really where the gospel is pointing to. The gospel is pointing to all things being subjected to Christ. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that Christ must come personally? To subject all things. No, Christ is here through His Holy Spirit, and we see the, the most of, often quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament is Psalm 1, where He says, "Sit at my right hand until I'll make all your enemies your footstool." So, how's that dominion going to be exercised? Well, through His Church and His Church bringing His gospel and His law to the nations, as we see in the Great Commission. All, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So post-millennialism just takes these verses uh, uh, seriously and takes the original covenant of creation seriously, and we believe man is restored, and not only he is restored, but he will be able through the Holy Spirit to fulfill that original mandate of dominion over, over creation. Which means that post-millennialism differs from all the other views and all the pagan religions, by the way, with the fact that it teaches an, an uncompromising optimism, uncompromising hope, but not just optimism about eternity, but optimism and hope about history. That means we're part mm. of a huge uh, operation uh, historical, a uh, huge operation in history of Christ taking over the planet for his kingdom. Even though we still on earth, uh -huh. in heavenly places we're seated. Woo. Ephesians 2, you should read it. Uh -huh. It's only because we're in Jesus. Yeah. Well, I don't think some believe it. So. And I don't think that they see it. They, they think the church is defeated. What? But why we call him King Jesus? Why? I can't imagine how far. Wow. And Bo, that, that actually brings me to. Um, Think about a sermon that you delivered. It's on, and I just want to let our listeners know, if you guys go to Sermon Audio, you can go into the search bar. It's the easiest way. Just type in Bojidar Marinov, and you'll see quite a few things that are really gems, things that you really need to hear. And there is a sermon that he delivered um, at um, Christ the King Church is, is your church in Texas, correct? Correct. And, and that's uh, McAllen, Texas, not too far from Houston, if I if I remember my Texas geography. But um, and he delivers a sermon called "How Big Is the Gospel?" And in this sermon, Bo, you really I find it interesting. And here's what really threw me off at first. And this is uh, and I'll admit that it threw me off at first because the the reading, the scripture reading in the beginning of the service. Um, most Christians would not associate Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 1, with the gospel. And right. so we hear this reading of Deuteronomy, uh, all, of, all about dominion. Moses is reminding them of their failure, of, of how they failed to, to believe that they could take the nations. We have this idea of dominion, defeating God's enemies. We have this idea of, of ordering a society according to God's law. We have this idea of God's love and God's justice for his people as he wants them to be his precious possession. Kind of a reminder of the original intent of the Decalogue there at Sinai. And then, so we have this reading in Deuteronomy 1, and then you give this sermon about the gospel. And I, uh, even though I believe that the gospel is more than propositions, and, and you started off with that, how the gospel is more than these propositions that we see here in America, of like the four spiritual laws, or even as 
unfortunately, tulip, this idea of a Calvinistic soteriology has become the gospel to so many people. And in the sermon, you mentioned how this idea of dominion that you earlier said was not forgotten by God. It was not uh, canceled out because of the fall. But actually, we see here that he gives Israel this idea. And then you really got me when you pointed out that Hebrews 4.2 brings us to Psalm 25, which brings us to Deuteronomy 1, when he says that the gospel was preached through to Israel, just like it was preached to us. The only difference is, is that they didn't believe it. And Deuteronomy 1 is all about the reminder of when they did not believe it. And Bo, that I think is where American Christianity could really wake up when we realize that the gospel is not just a few propositions. And if it's not just a few propositions, but rather the whole counsel of God, which is the reign of Christ, that's kind of where we see post-millennial eschatology as being more than just what happens at the very end, but explaining where Christians are today right now as a gospel that is the good news of Christ's kingdom, which means dominion. It means God's law as the source of justice and for the civil magistrate, for the family, for the individual, for the church. We got that down. The church is all about that. Like, oh yeah, they've got God's laws for the church. So I guess my question to you, Bo, is, is in light of your sermon on how big is the gospel, if you could maybe just real quickly reiterate, if you could tell a Christian right now who really believes that the gospel is just the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 15, like what would you have to say to them regarding their role in America now if they would just believe that the gospel is more than that? About their role in America right now, well... Uh, we have now. First of all, America has never been. Uh, America used to be a Christian nation, and I think, in in a, in a sense, it it still is, at least in the in the private convictions of the majority of people. I mean, there is a very strong Christian element even in the unbelievers in America, um, which still makes it a, a more desirable place to live than, than any other place in the world, um, no matter what people believe. Uh, but um, uh, what what we have seen, at least in the in the public uh, arena, in the public square, in the in the in the legal system, in the in the social order, in the institutional order, we see this um, uh, this abandonment of Christianity. Christianity is not only silenced, but we have the whole institutional and social order changing step by step towards more paganism, uh, bring us closer to what the Roman Empire was before Christianity uh, than than what what America was. 200 years ago and um, what a Christian is supposed to do is a Christian is supposed to if, if a Christian becomes a if I mean when you're a post-millennialist what you know is is uh, you need to do something about changing that towards towards better which means that the first thing you need to do is to start reading the Bible uh, understanding that the Bible is not just about your personal salvation and then uh, a reading uh, trying to find in the Bible the rules, the laws, the principles for redeeming 
everything else, redeeming the whole creation, just like <clears throat> Romans 8 says, the whole creation is eagerly waiting for us to be revealed as God's sons. We're still not revealed as, as sons of God if we don't know how the Bible relates to redeeming creation. I mean, if we, the only thing we're concerned about is saving our hands and, and you know, go to heaven, then we're still not revealed as, as uh, God's sons. And uh, we uh, also... Uh, a person like that need to understand, need to go to John 3.16, the most misquoted verse in the New Testament. John 3.16, and see what the what the point of the verse is. A lot of people say, well, that verse shows that God is concerned about our personal salvation. But the verse starts with, for God so loved what? Your personal soul? Your individual soul? No, he loved the world. And then, so loved the world, he made sure that those who believe will be saved so that, and then the next verse ends with, so that the world is saved. So basically, basically your salvation is only a tool for the redemption of the world. Your salvation is not the main point, which means that now you have to refocus on what the Bible says, but now, now that you're saved you need to refocus on what the Bible says about redemption of everything around you, uh, you know, including all the way to economics and politics and so on. So, Bo, what would be, in your estimation, the, the biggest difference between like a premillennial or amillennial missionary who goes to like a foreign country versus one that's postmillennial? Like what, what, is the, what is the practical difference between those two groups of, of missionaries? The practical difference would be that when a post-millennial missionary goes to a uh, goes to a foreign country, to a foreign culture, he looks at the culture as a whole. He doesn't just look at the individual souls of men trying to snatch a few uh, a, a few converts out of that culture and, and save them. He's looking at the whole culture. He's, he's looking at salvation of individuals only in the context of redeeming the culture and he's also looking at redeeming the, uh, he's also looking at redeeming the culture as something that must be preached together with salvation of individuals now i now it is true that a culture cannot be fully redeemed unless people in that culture are redeemed you know or at least un, un, unless you have a critical number of people that are converts but still, the glory of God will be revealed to everybody, not by snatching a few souls out of that culture. And so, uh, but, but by changing the whole culture. Now, what you see with, uh, with premillennial and amillennial uh, missionaries that I, that I have seen is they, the only thing they offer, basically, if, if they ever touch the culture, the only thing they offer is, oh, yeah, we can have some opinions about the political and economic issues of the day and so on, but they don't see those political, economic, educational, scientific, and so on issues of the day as a legitimate area of missions. Now, Man is a complete creature, a total creature. Man has his own individual soul, but he's only participating in the society. That's the way God made us, one and, and many. I mean, we we are uh, we are a, a separate part, separate. In, we are separate individuals, but we're also part of that society. Now, if you're only preaching the individual soul of man, this means that you're basically preaching only to part of man. You're not redeeming the whole man. You're not redeeming his participation in the society. Uh, and, and that's what I see with premillennial and amillennial preachers and missionaries. Uh, basically, they're, uh, 
uh, uh, they leave their listeners with this um, uh, schizophrenic uh, contradiction in them because they have to live in a society which is thoroughly pagan and they have absolutely no idea of how to change it or, or how to react to that paganism in the society. And on the other hand, in their personal life, they're supposed to act like Christians, in a, in which is eventually that schizophrenic tension uh, between one and the other uh, destroys them as, uh, as, and, and makes them apostatize. I mean, I've, I've seen... Uh, I've seen many many situations where basically the only thing a preacher is uh, a missionary is producing is is future apostates uh, instead of people that. Uh, uh, whereas uh, if if you preach if you preach a comprehensive gospel that both gives gives hope and also gives you a comprehensive idea of how to bring that redemption to every area of life, then a man is is, is complete. Uh, he doesn't have to worry of of setting one part of himself to uh, against another part of himself but his whole being his whole participation in the society is consistent and even if he is not able to conquer himself and the society within his lifetime he is still consistent in in working towards that goal so do you get people who who say to you that you're adding to the gospel or that you're 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 putting additional things on people like how do you how do you defend that charge or what do you? How do you respond to that? My my response to that is that biblically, uh, we know that uh, when God establishes His throne among His people, His uh, the the two the two pillars of His throne are righteousness and justice. It's not just righteousness, but righteousness and justice, um, which means you can't preach one without the other. Uh, so, uh, what are they what are they accusing me of of adding justice to righteousness? I mean. Is God's throne just based on righteousness and no justice? Is is God is is God okay with, with you know somebody being a? Um, I mean, think about converting a king. Okay, so what do you what do you tell a ruler? What do you tell to that ruler? Oh, that's okay. Don't change the laws. All we need is that you go to church in, on on Sunday, <clears throat> but but between Monday and Saturday. That's fine if you have unjust laws. Is that what we're telling a king? Now, what do we tell anybody else in the, in the culture uh, in, with, with all the measure of control and dominion that they have in that culture? We're telling them, no, it's the only thing that's necessary is for you to be saved, and, and the rest of it is not important. I mean, think about somebody going to the tribes down in, in Amazonia, let's say, because this is a really extreme example. I have an article on that. And, and going to those tribes and, and think about somebody, you know, who is, I mean, they come to Sunday, uh, they, they come to church every Sunday and they sing and, and, and so on. But then during the week, they have the same old pagan practices and uh, idolatrous worship and so on. I mean, is that going to be, is that going to be something would be, would be okay with? Uh, if not, why do we believe that a preacher, when he goes somewhere, should, should avoid preaching to, bringing the gospel to every area of life. The, the practical difference, basically, is that missionaries only, premillennial and non-millennial missionaries, only address personal salvation. The post-millennial missionary, by default, will have to address the whole culture. I can't imagine how folks feel. They don't know that this host's real. They don't know about post-mill. His enemies are just roadkill. And that's so real. Yeah, that's so real. Christ Jesus is dominating like Carmelo at Oak Hill. And this ain't high school. King of Kings is What I'm getting from this is that 
missions, which is a huge thing. I mean, you mentioned in the beginning of your talk how many millions of dollars the American church alone is spending every year on missions. And yet, and yet in those missions, in, their, in, in these movements and in these ministries, they are going into these cultures and basically preaching, I don't know, a limited gospel. A gospel that's basically all about the individual plight, the sinner's need to be redeemed, and then hopefully, you know, you can be, be freed in Christ and faith and then have a cushy afterlife kind of thing. And when the gospel is much more than that, the gospel seems to be, uh, according to what you're saying, and, you know, and I'm, I agree with you. I think that the gospel in scripture, I mean, you said in your sermon, um, again, going back to your sermon, how big is the gospel? You said that the Bible is big because the gospel's big. The, 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 the Bible isn't all this redemptive history because we need to defend a few premises and a few uh, or a few propositions about what what it means to be saved. It is a story of a God who is redeeming not just an individual, but he is basically claiming his justice. He is he is showing and revealing that he is indeed rightful king. He is rightfully the the one to be worshipped. Um, and resurrection seems to be the that justice returning to the world, which which Paul says in in Romans one. He begins his gospel by that that Jesus himself the son is is named and proclaimed to be the Son of God by the Father because through his resurrection, you know, his resurrection was his victory over death and and all that. Um, I think that's important because, Bo, what you're saying is that. Understanding Jesus as king, who's reigning now and today, is very important for how we do the work that we think we're doing in the American church. If the American church is spending millions of dollars on missions, then it might help that we believe that Jesus is king and active now and reigning. Um, That might explain why there's so many, I don't know, I don't know what you would think of this, but for example, the American church spends a lot of money uh, giving their missions program, giving to Israel and the state of Israel and, and to see Israel rebuild their temple and to see Israel do their thing. Would you see that as a direct um, result of dispensational theology in America? <laughs> the, the the funniest, the funniest thing about dispensational theology is basically dispensational theology is post-millennial about Israel and premillennial about everything else. I mean, they, see, they see great, great hope in history for Israel, so they're investing everything in the state of Israel. And uh, but they they don't see a lot of hope in 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 anything else except their church buildings, of course. Uh, but and, and that's why uh, that's why they're not investing. I mean, you see dispens- you hear dispensational pre- dispensational preachers in the United States, and I'm not going to name names here, but but uh, with in the in the in the era of Google, everybody can Google that that say I couldn't care less about the cultural war in America. <laughs> I mean, how can anybody that has children say that? But the reason is. Wow. 
but he's self-conscious. He's self-conscious about it because he doesn't believe the cultural war can be won. He believes investing in fighting that cultural war is a, is, a, is, a, is a losing proposition. But, of course, they will invest in Israel because they believe that there is future for Israel. So they're optimistic only about the state of Israel. It's not even the real, the real Israel because the real Israel is the church. Uh, but it's, um, it's, it's investing, mm. investing in, a, in, a, in a secular government because they have, they're optimistic about that secular government. But they're pessimistic about everything else. Now, keep in mind that America was founded on the idea, the post-millennial idea, that uh, that through through the spreading of the gospel and through the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Holy Spirit among the nations, the world is gonna is gonna get better and better. In fact, if you go just a hundred years ago, <clears throat> before Schofield. Published his Bible and dispensationalism became really popular. Everybody was uh, completely uh, optimistic about the gospel. I mean, there are I've read testimonies of missionaries a hundred plus years ago before dispensationalism became uh, the the pet theology of, of fundamentalist churches. And you see that missionaries were expecting actually within a couple of generations the whole world to be evangelized. Um, there is a huge book. It's free online, actually, in Google Books. Uh, it is called uh, "Students and the Present Missionary Crisis: Lectures at the Rochester Society of Students for Foreign Missions." And, uh, and this is in 19, uh, 1909, I think. Uh, it's exactly the year when, when the Schofield Bible was published. So they didn't have the Schofield Bible at the time to be more educated, uh, but <clears throat> and they. And you see, you read, you read all these. I mean, these are testimonies from the Muslim world, from Latin America, from China, India. Testimonies that show that the world. I mean, these people believe the world can be evangelized. It was the theology of the church that changed, that made possible World War One and World War Two, and and everything that we had after that. And what's happening today with the Muslim world, you've got to read those, some of those testimonies of what they had in the Muslim world, and you will see the Muslims themselves at the time believed that, uh, that the world is going to be surrendered to Christianity. And I'm speaking about Muslims, devout Muslims, who at the time, some of them were seriously asking the question, can Islam survive? That's about 100 years ago. So the question is, wow. has Islam changed or has Christianity changed since then so that Islam today is such a big threat? I, I think Islam is exactly the same miniature threat as it was 100 years ago, but Christianity has become smaller and, and has become more pessimistic mm. because of dispensationalism. And that's the reason today we're, uh, you know, we have all these panicking news about what's happening in the Middle East. just hundred years ago, people people looked at Islam as something that is that is dying. The, the, the biggest the biggest Muslim the, the largest Muslim state in at the time, the Ottoman Empire, it was you know earlier but well it was at the time, was called the sick man of the Bosporus. It was called the sick man at the time. Everybody looked at it as as if, okay, okay, how long before this thing collapses and Islam is gone? Jesus.
Psalm 2 and 12 Kiss the son of Paris If you're waiting for him to come and reign in your an error On the throne of David, the Savior's already there This is something that some in the church are not aware of Well, Bo, I, I know it's, uh, it's, man, that's a lot to chew on in America, we have this huge fear. Like, and man, this ties into the very first experience I had with you was, and I think you remember this. This is when I first started contacting you and harassing you. But the your immigration lectures and your lectures on immigration are, listeners, please Google and look up Bo's three part series on immigration. It will rock you it'll change you it's not just it's immigration but also it's a it's an excellent introduction to theonomy in my opinion because that's what really one thing that really did me in but when you talk about uh when we talk about immigration the threat of isis and the fear we have of middle east terrorists and and just the that we call them islam extremists coming into america and that seems to justify um, in our culture, in our society, a really strict immigration policy to really um, control who comes and goes out of America. And it's all for the sake of security. Do you think that um, you could maybe speak on Islam, um, what it's doing in the Middle East, maybe what's really going on in the Middle East, which we don't see in the news, but there is a Christian thing happening over there. And, and also how that affects our immigration policy and what's wrong with that. I know that's a lot, but if, if you can maybe speak on that, I think that our listeners would really learn a lot. Um, a friend of mine, Professor McCloskey, said uh, the book is about something. It's called Bourgeois Dignity, and it's actually economic history. But she wrote there a, a very interesting <clears throat> line, which applies to it's, – it's not about Christians – but it applies to Christians as well, and, and to the whole, the whole mentality, American mentality of the late 20th, early 21st century, and, and it is pessimism sells. For some reason, optimism doesn't sell. For some reason, optimism looks to uh, optimism in the news does not sell news. What, what sells news is is something to to scare you out of your wits. Uh, something to make you tremble and then go to the powerful of the day in Washington, D.C. and, and just <clears throat> become become their slaves so that, so that you're saved. This is what's happening in America today. And all these news about, you know, the great threat of ISIS and the great threat of Muslim. Now, let me, uh, uh, let me say this. I'm not saying that Islam is not a threat. What I'm saying is, is that when you have... When the church has effectively emasculated itself, uh, when the church has committed theological uh, vasectomy over the last uh, several decades and has nothing to say to the world, has nothing that will has nothing that will bring any hope and, and be uh, or help the church be victorious, then even the smallest threat out there looks like like a like a huge threat. Like a, a small child that looks at some really small spider and saying, you know, I we, we got a huge spider here. Spider is like quarter of an inch big. <laughs> and this is what we have with Islam. We have a, a dog that has no teeth. I mean, it barks, but he has no teeth except, you know, maybe maybe a little bit. 
and it's it's very limited civilizationally it's very limited in terms of numbers of people who are willing to lay their lives for something but then because we don't have a theology that can make us victorious and we're we're scared by it now let me remind everybody when when you say you know islam is uh, uh, islam is so successful in europe it is still muslims are still about 5% of the population of europe and and you know and i'm sometimes looking at the numbers and i'm thinking how can 5% command so much fear how, how come 5% can become so fear so 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 uh, you know uh, imposing fear uh, fearsome an enemy that, that that all our news are only about this and the only reason is we have stopped preaching a victorious gospel Islam is really not a threat the biggest threat we have is not Islam. The biggest threat we have is our own seminaries, and our own, and uh, and our own um, uh, pulpits. And if today God intervenes miraculously and destroys Islam, let's say, if 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 we wake up tomorrow morning and Mecca's gone, Medina's gone, all the Muslims are gone. There's no Muslims in the world. We'll just find another miniature threat that we're going to blow out of proportions because. It's just our eschatology that teaches us to find threats. Islam was created as a threat by our, our own eschatology. And it is only as big a threat as we allow it to be. Now, when we look at the real numbers at what's happening in the Muslim world, first of all, Christianity is the, is the fastest growing religion in that region. It's not Islam. And in fact, Muslims themselves admit that, Christians, that Muslims convert to, to Christ uh, by by an alarming rate in in the Muslim world, and and they don't they're not waiting for the American you know security uh, agencies or the American military to convert. They are converting to Christ, and there is no similar conversion back from Christianity to Islam. This is the reaction when you look at ISIS and all all this all what's happening there. It is the reaction of a wounded animal. That is trying to kick back as, as, as bad as it can, but it, it, it's got only limited life to live and only only so much blood to 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 to, to run through its veins before it, it all pours on the ground and, and dies. If I can just just say like right there that point about this wounded animal, that is a huge critique of postmillennial um, thinking, and and I don't want you to stop your thought, but I do want to just step in because what what I hear all the time is, oh, well, po post-millennial can't be biblical because look what's going on in the world. Well, the, the, the actual biblical position is that wherever you see the gospel successful, wherever you see the spirit moving, we see that evil gets desperate and it gets violent. And it's like, like you said, a wounded animal or it's like a, like a drowning victim and it's flailing, flailing its arms about, and it's really hurting anyone who's around it. But it's going to die. It's it's desperate for a reason. It's it knows that it's doomed, and that's what we see in Acts with missions. We see that the church goes forth, and that wherever the church—I mean, Stephen was martyred, but Stephen was martyred so that Philip could plant a church, and we see that that's really how the gospel 
spreads. And so we see this ISIS thing happening because, um, and you would know better than me, but the, the, the last decade in the Middle East has seen a Christian growth like it's never seen in history. And of course, if that's happening, then we're going to see violence, we're going to see destruction, we're going to see misery, because death is really the only weapon that sin, who reigns through that, has. But again, death has been defeated by our king, so we need to continue to go forth knowing that it can't stop the gospel. Anyway, I didn't want to interrupt you, but that's a lot of people's hang-up for post-millennial thinking is that, oh, well, look at what the headlines say. The headlines say that there, all this is going wrong, so it can't be, there's persecution, and post-millennialism doesn't, doesn't allow for any type of persecution or problem, and that's just not true. Well, I, I mean, I, I, would, I would tell these people I, I lived under communism. Where's communism today? And it, and it was the brutal type of communism that would openly, <clears throat> through um, government persecution, persecute Christians. Where is it today? If, if, if these people lived in 1942, in 1942, looking at the maps, how far the Nazis uh, uh, were, were reaching, I mean, they would come to the same conclusion that the world is, is, is really going to fall under Nazism in 1942, because the Nazis were at the at the height of their power and the height of, uh, of, of their ability to conquer territory and, uh, and oppress nations, and just three years later, what happened? Same thing. If you if you read if you read uh, uh, articles of of the of, of the 1970s, you wouldn't see anybody. Basically, until until Ronald Reagan, there was no politician on the American political scene that would openly say communism, I, I give communism one, one more decade. Uh, everybody else mm -hmm. believed communism was, was around to stay for, for as long as possible. I mean, everybody believed that with, <clears throat> with us losing in Vietnam, uh, communism is now uh, uncontested and victorious around the globe. A lot of people believe that in, in the 1970s. And again, today people are looking at Islam and thinking, you know, exactly the same thing as so many people thought in, back in 1942 or back in the 1970s. And what's the answer? Well, you guys are making exactly the same mistake as, as, as usual. You're not looking at what the gospel is, what the gospel promises. You're looking at, you're doing newspaper sex, Jesus. And... And on the subject of communism, what are the what are the two biggest you know staple communist nations? North Korea, whose people are starving to death, and China, which which is one of the biggest growing Christian movements in the world. So, even even Cuba even Cuba is surrendering to even Cuba is surrendering to to capitalism. Even they allow private enterprise now. The thing about China is that it's becoming Christian faster than probably any other country and it's basically a country that's subservient to the United States like in its in as far as its its labor is concerned and i don't think china in the grand scheme of the, the thing about doing the newspaper exegesis is that that the post millennial person could just turn right back around and say you know we're we're living in air conditioning with facebook on our phones just 10 years ago i didn't even have text messaging and <laughs> And now, and now, 
that post smell. That, that, yeah, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that post smell. So, so yeah, that's the thing. You you can't you can't live by what what the newspapers say. And even when you even when you do, um, it it rolls the post millennialist way anyway. So there's really um, there's really no reason for us to to give in to that critique. Wow. Amen, guys. Well, um, this what, what we've gotten from this conversation is that the gospel of Christ. No matter when the world is, no matter what's going on in the world, the gospel of Christ is relevant, not not only relevant, but it is the solution to all the ails and all the problems of society, whether it be communism, whether it be Roman imperialism, whether it be uh, any kind of oppression or tyranny or, or of any kind, which is ironic because in this nation we have, if you know, if I can follow Bo and not name names, but mention a preacher that was just on Morning Joe on MSNBC saying that the pulpit isn't a place for politics. Well, sir, you're wrong. You are going against church history. You're going against the gospel, the very nature of the gospel and what has um, f- happened before you by saying that the pulpit is not a place where you tell the people of God how to conduct themselves in society. And post-millennial thinking is not we're not just focused on what's happening in the end we are understanding and we are pleading with the church to know that Christ is king right now he is active his dominion will never see an end his kingdom will never see defeat god has chosen to install his king in zion and that king the messiah if if jesus is the jewish messiah then he is necessarily the king of all the nations because that is the covenant. That is the plan all along when we look in Scripture. So we see a king who's resurrected, who's defeated death. We see a king who, according to Paul in Romans 1, defeated death, and so therefore he's worthy to be crowned king. And therefore the next thing, what, in verse 4, is the obedience of all the nations. And that is what we are looking forward to. Uh, Mr. Marinoff, thank you for just really showing us where understanding that King, that Jesus is King, how it affects missions. That understanding that Jesus is King is huge, not just for American society, but for all the world. And you have your experiences in your own land, um, in in Bulgaria, which you're currently ministering to, and also you have a very unique perspective because you can also you also know very well what's going on here. In America, as in a in a sense, as I've heard you say before, we seem to be following in the footsteps uh, of Europe. I just want the listeners to to go to Christ the King Church, um, look them up online, and, and and just really see their ministry as a theonomic post millennial reconstructionist church. That's that's really something that America needs. Also, go to Bulgarian. Um, let me go actually right here uh, online. Go to BulgarianReformation.com. That's the website for Bulgarian Reformation Ministries where you can uh, see what Bo's doing. You can invite Bo Marinoff to speak in your area. You can support the ministry. Please support the ministry in any way that you can. Um, Also, uh, go to American Vision where Bo has done a lot of work with in the past as well. American Vision is a ministry that is reconstructionist and post-millennial. We definitely want to support them as well. Bo, thanks for joining us on our first podcast. We are really honored to have you, sir. It, it was a it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure and privilege to me. Excellent. We're also uh, glad we could show you some some new technology with uh, Google Hangouts. <laughs> <laughs> Not postmill. 
That's right. <laughs> That's that post mill. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Bo, for, for joining us. But again, we really want to see you, the church in America, wake up and realize Jesus Christ is king. He is king right now. And right now he is calling you, the spirit filled people of God, to take dominion and to preach his gospel. And that is an afterlife uh, destination, not just dealing with your individual justification, even though that is an awesome thing, and we praise God for it, but as the means through which he is restoring the world and is bringing his justice to all the nations. We thank you. This is That Post Mill. Adam, Colin, do you have anything to add? Hashtag That Post Mill. Keep hashtagging That Post Mill for real. Yeah, I just want to put in a little plug. We, we use uh, that post mill with one L because I was saying that uh, post mill. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah post mill it went with two L's. That sounds like a serial conglomerate. So uh, we want to use the one L. <laughs> <laughs> and the original really is one L, hashtag that post mill. Except no substitutes. Excellent. All right, so one L, one L. definitely. If you really want to be authentic in your that post mill, whether you're critiquing us or whether you're uh, supporting us, just use one L so we see it and so we can get the message. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for listening. We encourage you to go to datpostmill1l.com and check out um, the rest of our episodes on there. We do have three mini-sodes that we recorded as we were preparing to launch the official podcast. So check those out. There's some good content there you can listen to. Uh, we've got a few blog posts. We'll be putting more up there. We've got a resources page with recommended uh, reading, some books to check out. Um, ones to purchase and for free. Um, and, uh, we definitely encourage you to give us a, a rate and review on iTunes. We've got, I think we only have one up there right now, but, uh, let us know what you think. Send us an email, contact us. If you got questions, we want, uh, we want to be a place to, to answer questions that people have about post mill, theonomy, um, Calvinism, anything you got precept, we want to discuss it all. So we're happy to put resources out there if you guys, want it so reach out to us we're on twitter at that post mill um we're on facebook we are all over everywhere taking dominion over the internet so just google dat post mill <laughs> and you'll find us over the interwebs it's true and everyone we want to we, we want to encourage you to and we try to do this every podcast but it's so crucial to join a local church um the gospel is everywhere and it's, it's real important if you want to be involved in the kingdom movement to get a, get a hold of a, a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church and give yourself to it. Um, not only will you give yourself giving – yourself, giving yourself to the church is not only for the church's benefit but for yours as well. We are not created to be spiritual uh, Rambos or lone wolves. We really are created to be communal. Our God is Trinitarian. He is a community. And he created us. It's not good for man to be alone. There, we must be in a community. So it's important that if you want to obey God's commands, also if you want to be a part of his kingdom movement, the power of his gospel, join his church. Partake, uh, worship with believers. Partake of the sacrament. Uh, be baptized if you haven't been baptized. Partake of the, the Lord's Supper and get the word and have, have elders that can look over you and, and equip you for the work of service, Ephesians 4. And also, I mean, listening to Bo's interview, this is some powerful stuff that Mr. Marinov has 
shared with us just the power of the gospel, not only here in America, but also abroad. Even the Middle East, even the Crescent, even Islam is no match for the gospel, which is why they're so desperate. So it's really, if you if you can listen to that interview and not go running to your local church right now to serve and, and be a part of this, I, I don't know what's going on with you. I, I really... I really hope that we can we can do this. So take dominion, obey the gospel, obey, uh, fall in his his uh, grace and keep listening to that post. The sheep of the king will protect us from the werewolf and the meat. Jesus said that the earth they shall inherit. Some think it's getting worse. But how Jesus removed the curse. He has dominion from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. Now he's reigning from heaven May all the kings bow down before him And all nations serve him Psalm 72, 11 This an anthem, this song is not an apologetic This is a song to let you know Christ is king Cause I read it If you want a debate, name a time and place And we'll get it The progression of the kingdom of God Is where my head is A post-millennial age is where we're headed Christ is conquering the nations Yeah, I said it Jesus the Messiah brought the expected kingdom on time and as planned. He is seated and reigning now. His kingdom will grow in history through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. The world will experience the transformational blessings the peace with God brings. Jesus will return for the resurrection of the just and the unjust after, after all his enemies are put under his feet in victory. The last enemy is death.